big news, everybody. Big news. The biggest news. It's <laughs> so exciting. We have not one. Not one. But two live shows coming up. Burr, 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 burr. <sighs> Yeah, you can do that at Minute Women Live. at our live show. So please whisper though. Like, yes. Yeah. So we have two very cool live shows coming up. Our first live show, which is actually in reality our second ever live show, yes, is coming up on February eighteenth at Pickford and Black on the Halifax waterfront. That is where our first live show was, and they are gracious enough to have us back again. So Yay. we're very excited. This is a free show, so it's free for you to attend. Come in, grab a bite to eat at Pickford and Black. Last time, Grace and I discovered the loaded fries. They are <laughs> so good. Spectacular. <laughs> um, they've got great beer, great people, and they'll be us, so it'll be a lot of fun. Uh, but then we have another live show, and this is kind of a big deal for the Minute Women <laughs> and Mark. Um, this is our first live show that's going to be um, with a cover. So it will cost you $5 to attend. However, it is going to be at the Garden Food Bar and Lounge. So pretty. There will be Minute Women-inspired cocktails <laughs> and uh, a fabulous night full of fun and humor and laughing and learning uh, from yours truly. So we would love to see you there. That is happening on March 3rd, and that will also be an 8 p.m. start. So both nights, February 18th and March 3rd, start at 8 p.m., and we would love to see you there. Yeah, if you have, if you're like, should I go to this one? Should I go to the other one? Go to both. Yeah. A, just <laughs> go to both. Yeah. Um, but Pickford and Black, it's going to be a bit more like a bar-style live show. Yeah. When we go to the garden, we are the main event, so yeah. it's going to be way more formal. Yeah, so <laughs> I'm gonna wear like, a dress. <laughs> we're going to be like main front and center. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah Grace, keep 18th. saying that. I'm not nervous. You're <laughs> nervous. <laughs> February 18th, Pickford and Black. March 3rd, The Garden. Yeah. And they're both at 8 p.m. Yeah, and a huge thanks to the manager at Pickford and Black, Billy, for having us back, and to Kelly, the events manager at The Garden, for uh, bringing us in. We're very excited. Hi everyone, welcome back to the Minute Women Podcast. My name is Grace. And I'm Linnea, and welcome back. Welcome back to the city. Welcome back to the city, to the, oh, the sky actually just got very like scary <laughs> scary well we're In supposed to get a bunch of snow tomorrow yeah we are um nova scotia pretty much as a whole i was looking at the <laughs> looking at the weather <laughs> network and it was just like nova scotia it was, was just covered it's just like canning and yeah. that's it like everywhere else is just yeah. like expect 40 centimeters yeah. meanwhile it's it was 10 degrees this week yeah everything's oh, fine beautiful. the world is fine <laughs> This isn't not normal. It, it's great. I was talking to. Um, <laughs> this isn't not normal. Just, I was talking to Eric's roommate, and he was just like, "It's amazing how quickly people write off weather like this." Oh yeah, like we didn't get any snow throughout really most of January. We, we had like been one big snowstorm. Very lucky. We've been very lucky. Lucky and also like impacted by climate change. But like, yes, yes. It, like his mom was saying, "Oh, it doesn't." We don't get snow until like February. And he was like, Yes, we do. Yes, we do. It's mom. normal for us to get snow this time. He's like, Oh, we never get snow that early. It's like, Yes, we do. Yes, we do. <laughs> it's like up until uh, like 20 years ago, it was most likely that you would have a white, white Christmas. White Christmas, yeah. yeah. It's, and uh, now we almost never have It's them. an expression. It's a movie. It's, it's actually movie. the movie came that came after the flop of a movie um, because it was originally. Um, Irving Berlin's Holiday? Holiday Inn. Holiday Inn, yeah. Which has a great blackface scene if you've never seen it. Yeah, hence why it's not so popular. <laughs> and they took the title track. They took they took White Christmas from that yeah. and made a whole other movie about it because it's such a good song. And they didn't put blackface in that movie. Yeah, they had the foresight to not put blackface in yeah. the... My favorite is that the blackface is critical to the plot. Like, with, like it, it explains a whole part of the movie is because they're trying to disguise someone and oh. like she would have been found if they didn't put her in blackface. Ooh. It's not great. Mm. It's not great. 
Mm. My family would watch it. We watched it at Christmas a few times. Mm. And we every time we were just like, all right, everybody just forget about this part <laughs> and we'll move on. <laughs> I don't, I know I, like, it, my grandmother, it's one of her favorite movies. She oh, loves Urban really? Ruin. And so I've watched it, but, like, once we got to a point where we can understand, like, as kids, like, in the mid-90s, it was like, it wasn't something that we, like, watched we anymore. Yeah. <laughs> it was like, it's like yeah, but I, like, I know, like, I remember parts of it and I always grew up knowing that like white christmas was from that movie yeah but then put into a much better stellar production yes the the best the the classic the christmas best. movie in my opinion the best but oh uh, just so beautiful <laughs> clearly we just want christmas again <laughs> i know right it's because it is so hot in the studio right now um it's, it's yeah it's pretty unbearable I'm yeah not gonna lie. <laughs> i am wearing a sweater tied on me like a strapless top right now because <laughs> it is so hot we required some costume change yeah it is yeah that's a lovely visual for everyone of me right now um minute women only fans mark coming, yeah coming <laughs> no minute women no fans minute women no so fans. hot <laughs> okay so grace hi this is, I can already tell this is going to be a great episode. I I'm have, excited. I have big, so, I have big feelings about this one and I don't even know what it is. So tell me. So I've basically said, fuck you to the whole format of our podcast, which Kate. is about, so, okay. There are certain heritage minutes. Grace is using her arms to express this to me. Not even just hands. That arms. have come out. <laughs> it's true. That like, you just like, what are you supposed to say? Like, what, how am I supposed to make that interesting how am I supposed to have a good time with this format? And so this is one of those heritage minutes. Oh, God. Okay. So I'm going to do the responsible government heritage minute. Do you remember that one? Responsible government. It's called responsible government. It's just Queen Victoria talking yes. with somebody and they're like, they want to be able to vote. And she's like, well, that sounds like a grand idea. Yes. And then they let them do it. And they're like, look, it's the queen. And she's so great. A, I don't think that's a really good depiction of how we achieve responsible, responsible government. government. But also responsible government is really boring. It's mm -hmm. just like, let me tell you about this political theory. It's, it's basically the idea that the government is responsible to the people. Mm -hmm. And so that means it usually takes the form of a cabinet or some isn't sort of elected Isn't that just like a democratic assembly. government? Like, isn't that just democracy at work? Yeah, it's kind of like you have more power to the elected body than the executive, though. So like, mm -hmm. or, or the, the appointed. So before this, there were still elected assemblies, mm -hmm. but the appointed assembly so like the senate or the upper house had way more power than the lower house and so re okay. responsible government flips that oh and I gives see, more I see. power to the elected officials which we still have that balance of some appointed some elected like, like senators okay like jack dawson would have had just as much right to a lifeboat as as the stupid guy who rose was gonna marry in the titanic Yes, yes, exactly. Mm, okay. <laughs> <laughs> We're trying to give more power to the people. <laughs> I like that. But like that's like, and then of course you can talk about how that doesn't mean everybody suddenly has the right to vote. You don't have universal franchise in Canada mm -hmm. until really until the 1960s when indigenous people are allowed to vote or, or First Nations people are allowed to vote without giving up their status. Mm -hmm. Um Women don't receive federal votes until 1918. So, you know, it's like the beginning of democracy in the colonies. And that's great. And it's not to say that's not important. It's just not a very fun episode. Mm -hmm. So I don't want to talk about that for an hour. Okay. Because <laughs> I think it's really dry. What do you want to talk about, Grace? So instead, I want to talk about somebody who is part of the history of responsible government, who manages to establish the first colony in British North America with responsible government, mm -hmm. but doesn't have a heritage minute. Even though I think he's basically like on par with like a, probably like a Baldwin would be the, the primary figure of responsible government, at least in the English speaking world. Mm hmm. So it's like LaFontaine and Baldwin, I should say, who have their own heritage minute. And we'll talk about someday. Okay. Great time. So who is, who is this? We're going to talk about Joseph Howe, Joseph Nova Howe. Scotia's own. Yes, Joe who? <laughs> Joe Howe. Um, yeah. He's basically this wonderful, crazy curmudgeon of a man Yeah. Um, who is very much disliked outside of 
Nova Scotia in federal government because uh-huh. he is an old cranky curmudgeon of a man. Yeah. Um, but in Nova Scotia, basically every other street is named after him and yeah. he's really cool. He's actually very pivotal to several different spheres, like the legal sphere mm-hmm. and freedom of speech. Like he's very important to that. He's important to the uh, start of responsible government in Nova Scotia, which is the first colony to have responsible government and he was a in the British Empire. Uh, he wasn't a prime minister. He was, he was a premier. A premier, okay. and he was a cabinet member eventually. In okay. um, after confederation, he was a prime minister. But hmm. yeah, so he should have been. He should have been. Should have been, and I think he should have had a minute. So we're gonna talk about him. I love because it because I've just decided. <laughs> I'm. I'm just rolling with it today, Grace. We're gonna roll with. <laughs> Let's roll with Joe. So Joseph Howe was born December thirteenth, eighteen o one, at the Northwest Arm in Halifax, Nova Scotia. Here. Here, just yeah. you know, over the hill from here. <laughs> just just over there. Over the hill around the bend. Mm-hmm. Um, as a child, his father, John Howe, was a great influence on him. The Howe family was from a Puritan stock from Massachusetts. Oh. And they were the only part of their family that remained loyal to the British Empire during the Revolutionary Wars. Uh, everyone else became Americans. Everybody else was like Go America. And his dad was like, no. I have a bad feeling about this. <laughs> <laughs> so, And he was right. <laughs> so, and he was right. So John Howe left America because he was a loyalist. And he was set up in Halifax in 1779. And he set up a printing shop where he published the first issue of Halifax Journal in December 1780. So his dad's like a publisher slash journalist yeah. person. You know, educated middle-class cool. family. In 1801, John was rewarded for his loyalty by appointment as the king's printer, and in 1803, he became deputy postmaster for Nova Scotia. So his dad is the mailman. I love that. Deputy mailman. <laughs> <laughs> it is so great when, because the postal service is taken extremely seriously during this time, because it's the mm-hmm. fastest form of communication, but they're like, oh my God, the postmaster general's son. <laughs> Just like, it's always the postmaster general's son. I don't know why. I don't know what they're doing. I don't know what kind of, but it's always a scandal. <laughs> it's like the original milkman. Uh. <laughs> it's the postmaster general's son. Oh, that's funny. <laughs> so Joseph Howe described his father as, quote, my only instructor, my playfellow, almost my daily companion. Mm. It kind of sounds like a sad child, though. Did he have siblings? Uh, he did have siblings, I believe, but it just sounds like he was always with his dad. Yeah. Just like all the time. He's like, my only friend. My only companion, my was, daddy. Was my dad. <laughs> and I can't see my cousins because they're American. <laughs> and we've decided that that's wrong. <laughs> and we were right. <laughs> and we were right. Uh, as you may have guessed, his father was a huge Anglophile. So just someone who's like in love with everything British. Okay. A.K.A. like every mom. Now, yeah, <laughs> just, I was gonna say like my Nana Helen. <laughs> my mom loves certain parts of royalty. She loves oh, the queen. My Nana loves the monarch. Yeah, yeah, yeah. just like plates. Oh, and spoons. <laughs> God damn it! <Spoons. laughs> my mom doesn't collect things, thankfully. But she, any any period drama, it shall yeah. be watched. Yeah. Um. So Joe Howe's dad would have a hundred percent watched Bridgerton. Okay. Um. That was like his vibe, and he passed that on to Joseph. Mm-mm. He was the only member of their family who had sided with the British in the Revolutionary War, as I said earlier. Um, And his father kind of passes on this restless, agitating uncertainty, which made ordinary life intolerable. So he's like, you got to be British and you got to be never content. Just like always moving, always trying to do something else. Very Mm -hmm. fidgety. Joseph Howe was very fidgety. Politics it is. (laughs) (laughs) How can I never, ever be content? Politics. <laughs> There's a, a historian, Murray Beck, who's sort of the the guy who wrote about Joseph Howe. He wrote this two volume <laughs> biography man. of the man. Oh my god! Um, In like what like what year? Uh, it probably would have been the seventies. The seventies. I'm not 100 percent sure. Mm-hmm. Um, but he he says that Joseph Howe could quote never sit still, nor could he rest an opinion. Mm-hmm. So he's Joseph Howe has some thoughts. He's like, but. And it's going to be everyone's concern. <laughs> but, but what about, but what about, no. Mm. <laughs> it's just, he's like, he reminds me of those 
just kind of like Bernie Sanders a little bit, <laughs> not in the sense that he's he's like has the same ideologies, uh, but just if that Joe Howe was alive right? today, there'd be a meme. There would be a meme. Yeah, it's just the that guy who's never gonna go away, and he's mm. never gonna shut up, and he's mm-hmm. just always gonna tell you what he thinks. And if he's on your side, then you're like, thank God we have this person. Yeah. But if he's not on your side, he's the most annoying person you've ever met. Yeah. So Joseph Howe attended the Royal Acadian School, but his formal education was limited due to finances. So the family's not poor, but they're not crazy well off, so they can't just send him to any university. But he's a postmaster. (laughs) The post- The deputy deputy postmaster's son. (laughs) (laughs) He should be able to go anywhere. (laughs) So he's largely self-educated. Okay. He would read late into the night and observe the public to learn about society and politics, which I love. It's just Mm -hmm. like- I observe society, which is just like <laughs> I go out and I watch people. I just look at people. I was picturing as like him, like under his covers with like a flashlight, looking <laughs> at like looking but, at like magazines and being like, I'm observing society. Except it's the 1800s, so he has like a flammable <laughs> kerosene lantern under the belt. It's like, stop! You've burned down the house three yeah. times now. We don't give a it's shit. Like, just read by the fire. It's like you keep singeing your sheets, Joe. <laughs> Can you stop? But mom, <laughs> never. I have to observe society. <laughs> so he said, quote, my books are very few, but then the world is before me, a library open to all from which poverty of purse cannot exclude me and in which the meanest and most paltry volume is sure to furnish something to amuse, if not to instruct and improve. Mm. So he loves books. I liked He's that. A, a bookworm. I do love the the from which poverty of purse cannot exclude me. Mm. It's like as long as I have a book, I can be as smart as everybody else. Mm-hmm. Say it again, Joe. <laughs> Welcome to Silicon Valley. <laughs> <laughs> His father taught him about the Bible. No, so big old Bible guy, and about Britain, duh, uh, duh, and instilled a sense of courage. So you know. He's a daddy's boy. He's yeah, okay. Dad loves him. At the age of 13, Joseph was already assisting his father in his deputies as postmaster general and king's printer. Since these offices and They're still living in Halifax? They're still living in Halifax and I believe eventually his job also includes New Brunswick and Prince Edward Island. So okay. he controls all three of these colonies. That's Whoa. A big freaking deal. <laughs> now we're not even allowed to go there. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't want to in the first place. Welcome to COVID. <laughs> welcome to COVID. Since these offices would eventually go to his older half-brother, John. So their inherited positions. He's a half-brother. And who is older. So Ooh, daddy. Yeah. <laughs> what were you doing, daddy? <laughs> I think he just got married and that woman died mm-hmm. and then married again. <laughs> You're just like, mm-hmm. are you sure? Was he a milkman before this? Mm. We'll never know. Or is that just his nickname? <laughs> so he had to seek other employment, even though he loves working with his dad. He's just like, I won't get these jobs. He'll go to my brother. So I got to go do something else. Okay. Okay, Joe. And the fateful decision was made early in 1827 when he and James Spike purchased the Weekly Chronicle and began to publish as the Acadian. So they bought a newspaper. Um, why the... Okay, it's just interesting to me that he would choose the Acadian as a name when mm-hmm. you're all like, British people rule, like... No, no, and it's like yeah. it's just an interesting, it's just an interesting choice. So it's a good point. There's a strange romanticism for Acadia mm-hmm. and Acadian people that British people have. I don't know if it's. I mean, I'm sure there's lots of studies of it. You have the Longfellow um, poem Evangeline, mm-hmm. which comes out very popular poem. Mm-hmm. I think it also gives this sense that Europeans had been there a long time, mm-hmm. sort of thing, and like a dying culture. Yeah, um, and Acadia is. Very romantic. Very romantic. Acadia is one of the earliest names of the region, too. So there's a lot. Like Acadia University, for yeah. example, is not a French university. That place. It's no, it's not. It's not even Catholic. It's a Baptist university, yeah. <laughs> actually. Yeah, and it pays no taxes. Nope, no taxes. <laughs> so, yeah, they, they publish it as the Acadian. That's hmm. the newspaper. Okay. 
However, within less than a year, in December of 1827, Howe took over a new newspaper, the Nova Scotian, from George R. Young, and soon made it the most influential newspaper in the province. Oh. In his hands, the Nova Scotian became an instrument both of his own self-education and for the education of his readers. In the early years, he personally reported between 150 and 200 columns of debate during each session of the assembly. So that's not even the full year. Like... I believe that he's just talking about, like, an, a session. So that would be, like, eight months of the year you're in session? Yeah, Six bonkers. months of the year? I, it changes over time. But he's writing 200 columns. That's insane. So, yeah, he just, like, he's that journalist who goes and he sits in on all the debates and he writes his, like, own opinions and mm-hmm. stuff, op-eds about mm-hmm. it. By 1834, he could boast that he had written as much manuscript as he could carry and that without it, the people would have been, quote, about as incapable of judging of the conduct of their representatives as if they had assembled on the moon. (laughs) Okay. He's like, without me, he's, (laughs) how has a massive ego? Ah. He is very, very egotistical, (laughs) which is a common theme throughout. Um. But, yeah, he's just like, without me going in and listening to them talk about should they increase taxes on brandy imports, the people would know nothing. Yeah. (laughs) They would be nothing without me, even though most people don't know how to read. (laughs) I also like how he's like, if they met on the moon. And no one's even been to the moon yet. Like, he is really, he's like, he's like, fuck everyone. I'm... (laughs) The best. You need me. <laughs> I do think I slipped a little bit because it's oh. actually, it says in the moon. So maybe the moon is hollow. Oh, he's still saying. <laughs> okay, fair. Fair. <laughs> Who knows? Who knows? that this Like, really? <laughs> like, it's Swiss cheese. No one's know. been there. No. <laughs> I know nothing. It could be hollow. But it, and it, to be fair, if they were meeting in the moon, it would be harder to know what they were doing than if they met on the moon so true actually <laughs> maybe that's what he meant yeah it's just an added layer of difficulty <laughs> joseph Howe got married oh good for him he marries Catherine, suzanne and mcnab on the 2nd of february 1828 like, like that mcnab that mcnab like as i point, point to, to mcnab's, McNab's island, island. Yeah. yeah so her she lived with her father on mcnab's island which like that's where she grew up jeez yeah <laughs> She was born in Newfoundland, and then her father of course she got was. transitioned. She was like, let's there. find another rock there, girl. <laughs> this island's too big for us. We need something smaller. Uh-huh. I need something where I can see the whole coastline at once if I spin really fast. <laughs> Between 1929 and 1948, the couple had 10 children. Um, only five of them lived to be adults. Uh, and I love Murray Beck. Sad. Murray Beck says, none of them achieved the preeminence of their father. <laughs> you never be good as your father. Ever. You never achieve nothing. <laughs> I love how his mom's now from Jersey. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what it's like out on that island in the <laughs> yeah. harbor. Yeah, Who mom. knows? That's the Jersey shore of Nova Scotia is McNabb's Island. <laughs> Uh, uninhabited but yeah we don't know what they sound like over there yeah i mean a bunch of american tourists go out in there in non-covidian times wow. so who, who's to say who's to say i guess they go to george's island right both i don't know i don't know i've never been on it i've never been to the island i don't go anywhere <laughs> <laughs> i like to sit here i just stay here in the studio <laughs> A common attack on Howe during his career was that he was promiscuous and had fathered an illegitimate child. (gasps) So they'll be like, he's like, we shouldn't be taxed for this. And they'll be like, you whore. He's (laughs) like, all right. Uh, this is largely a rumor, though. Um, it is true that prior to his marriage, he had a son by a woman um, that was not his wife, and oh. her identity is unknown. Uh, this first child was Edward Howe, but um, Howe always kind of like supported him, like well, financially and name. stuff. I don't. That doesn't yeah. sound like he's hiding. Yeah, he lived with his mother um, in a house that like Howe paid for. So oh. you know, I, I think it's like he sounds like a good guy. Not great, but like. Not the worst. Yeah. People, everybody makes mistakes. Everybody has those, those days. days. <laughs> that song was about Joseph Howe. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
when government was not in session and how couldn't go and sit in on the debates and like which he loved which he loved uh how would read and write about other things <laughs> like the how the moon is hollow about how the moon is hollow and how he wanted to observe firsthand uh the basically the entirety of the province so he's determined that he's going to go everywhere in the province um, the fruits of these travels were two books, The Western Rambles and The Eastern Rambles. Is that what they were called? <laughs> yeah. That's great. <laughs> Which were two serials that described the physical features and the social characteristics of the people of Nova Scotia. Huh. So he would like go there and be like, oh, wow, it's beautiful. This is what the people are like. And it's always like, they're so hardworking and so rural. It's beautiful. Oh. It's always oh. that. <laughs> what do you say about those capers? Uh, he does go to Cape Breton. Was I he think. like, I can't understand a word they're saying? <laughs> Who's to say? <laughs> um, he was also a prolific poet. And then, so did he say that? Like, is that in the words of Joseph Howe? I mean, he just wrote a lot of poetry. I'm a prolific poet. <laughs> My favorite. Don't you know it? Is that so? He writes these poems. Here, I'll show it <laughs> to you. <laughs> Get it? It rhymes. It was a poem. <laughs> My favorite though is like he writes all these poems, mm. and they're just for, like for him. Mm-hmm. And then they publish them all after his death. And then people are like, he's a shit poet. But it's like, he never wanted to have them published. They're just for him. That's so sad. Like, clearly he has such an ego that if he thought they were good, he would publish them. And he would put them in the Nova Scotian and stuff. Yeah. He didn't do that. So after his death, they're like putting this whole collection and published. Um, What a sin. (laughs) Poor guy. A guy named J.A. Roy said he had the urge towards poetry and the poetic expression. His ear was defective. He was imitative and trite and ignorant of the most elementary prosodic principles. So basically, like, he's the worst poet I've ever seen in my life. That's really unkind. That's really mean. Would you uh, like to hear one of his poems, though? I would love to. My favorite thing, he wrote a lot of poets. Poems about his wife. Actually... Can we do something fun? Yes. Can I read it aloud? <laughs> yes. Do you want to read the poem? Yeah. I just have I just have like a small excerpt of That's it. That's okay. Um, but yeah, he writes a lot of poems about his his wife. Okay, I'm excited. So so this is a poem he wrote to his wife. <clears throat> I believe the poem is called My Wife. <laughs> My wife. <laughs> okay. My gentle wife. Though girlhood's peach like bloom. Perchance is passing from thy cheek away. <laughs> and though the radiance that did erst illume, thine eye be tempered by a milder ray. <laughs> Which is basically saying, like, uh, you old now. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, at one point you was young. Yeah. Not anymore. Yeah. You were like a peach, <laughs> and now you're dull. <laughs> it's like, remember all that life and beauty and you light. Had? Now you're mild. Now you're like mild. It gets nicer throughout, that's but I just good. like that's the open. Yeah, <laughs> I love that he. She's reading that, and she's like, "What the fuck, <laughs> yeah. Richard? Like, come on. What about me? Oh my God, Why you gotta funny. say that? That's funny. <laughs> I like that. Great poem." Great guy. I don't hate it. <laughs> so, as I was saying earlier, I was reading an article by Murray Beck for a lot of this, and he he's like the guy on Joseph Howe, and I couldn't not just like quote this straight up. So this is from Murray Beck's article. Okay, I'm ready. Although Howe turned out to be a political animal, <laughs> it was not his original intention to seek the improvement in all aspects of colonial society that he wanted through direct political action. I just love political animal. Uh, yeah, political He's just animal. like, woof, woof. <laughs> like, <laughs> just DMX starts playing and you're like, what the fuck? <laughs> During his early journalistic career, he was a left-leaning Tory. So he's okay. like conservative for yeah. the most part. He was a constitutionalist, believing it was the most vital piece of government. He believed in, quote, the Constitution, the whole Constitution, and nothing but the Constitution. (laughs) Little could change his mind during this time, even in the 1830 brandy disputes or the brandy election. The brandy election. Yeah, I was really bummed when I found out it was not something very exciting. It's not Um, about brandy? It's about brandy, but it's not like 
drunk people in the streets. <laughs> it's kind of boring. That's um, disappointing. I was hoping it was like the Richard riots. <laughs> Basically, in 1826, they put a certain tax on foreign brandy, um, and then I believe the government was collecting too much mm. on it. Um, there was certain parts, like members of the government, that called the government out on this, but they mm-hmm. never really rectified it in any way. How did not support government intervention during the the brandy election Mm -hmm. Uh, apparently how felt that an assembly which opposed one outrageous action would also intervene in less extreme cases so he was worried that if we like intervene with the government overtaxing in this particular case then it will set the precedent that we can do that all the time like why people are afraid of like impeaching Donald Trump now because it could set the precedent that we could impeach any president ever who's ever been in office. Um, Whatever. Uh, (laughs) Furthermore, he still considered parties to be factions operating against public interest. He's also very, yeah, so he's anti-party, like government parties. Okay. He thinks that, as, as is often the case, it would be... It promotes politicians to just vote with their party rather than voting for what's best for the people they're specifically representing or for what they believe to be moral. Oh, it's so frustrating. I hate the Canadian, like, electoral process. Like, I think it's so stupid. I think it should be like America where we get to vote for the people in our community and then we get to vote for our leader, like our prime minister. Like, both? Yeah, I don't think it should be... Like, I don't... Because, especially from being from rural Nova Scotia, and there's a mm-hmm. lot of rural parts in Canada, being from a rural community, you know, you might really respect a person mm-hmm. and really respect their values and say, let's say that that's like a conservative leader. Uh-huh. But you, they're in the community, they're super involved, they're, you know, coming to events and they're really, you know, putting your community first. Yeah. And that's the person you want to vote for. However, the person who's running for conservative for, you know, the party party is a boob and you don't want to vote for them. Yeah, especially. And I don't think that's fair. Yeah. Yeah, I think that is definitely an advantage of the American system. Yeah. I think that my biggest personal gripe with the Canadian system is that we have a multi-party system but mm. we treat it like a, a two-party two party system. system. A two-and-a-half-party system. Yeah, and that's part mostly because we do we don't, we do first-past-the-post instead yeah. of a, a tiered system. Yeah. Like, I, I like ballots where you can... Essentially, you rank the people that you want yes, from I most agree. to least, and then it's like a cumulative point system. Yeah. And I think that would be the only way we would ever see, like, an NDP prime minister. Yeah. At least in, like the way that things are right now. Yeah. Um, Because I know a lot of people, same thing, of like they want to vote NDP, but they think it's a waste of their vote to do so. 100%. Which, in all honesty, it It might be. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Which happened, interestingly, on the right in my community because we had an independent candidate who was very right-wing or at least like... Well, he was kind of an idiot, but (laughs) he... Claimed to be right wing and he detracted a lot of votes from the conservative party and that split the right and put um, a liberal candidate in, which was, yeah, like usually it just goes the other way of people splitting the vote between liberals and NDP. Yeah. Um, But anyways, anyways, that's the dangers of party and how was like could see it all the way back in the 1830s. I was like, this is a bad idea. Yeah. In 1832 and 1833, Nova Scotia's banking and currency problems showed the assembly's weakness and the council's power. So the assembly is the elected body and the council is the appointed. Okay. The five councillors who were directors of the Halifax Banking Company first delayed the incorporation of a second bank and then whittled down its power. The manipulations of the two banks soon led to the depreciation of currency and the assemblymen, moving like puppets controlled by wires of the council, did not demand the action that would restore the currency to a sound basis. In 1834, Howe denounced an assembly which seemed willing to negotiate with the British government for the commutation of quit rents on land in return for a suitable establishment for the public officials. So quit rent is a tax or a land tax imposed on occupants of freehold or leased land. Okay. Um, And it's in lieu of services to a higher landlord 
uh, owning authority, usually a government or its assigns. So it's basically like uh, extra tax okay. for people living on like rented land. Okay. <laughs> um, the quit rents, he insisted, should be commuted unconditionally. Nova Scotia would do justice to its public servants without having a club held over its head, which was his perspective on it. <laughs> so basically just like we're that making... That sounds like Joe. We're making them pay rent and then they have to also pay a quit rent, which goes to like the government or like in, in this case, it like goes to the British government. Right. They're just like, this is stupid. Mm-hmm. Stop doing that. Howe grew increasingly angered by this injustice and took his opinions to his favorite weapon, the press. The press. The press. Freedom of speech. On January 1st, 1835, Howe's Nova Scotian published an anonymous letter accusing Halifax politicians and police of pocketing 30,000 pounds over the course of 30 years. So he's like... The government's just pocketing your he money. He did some research, eh? <laughs> the outraged civic politicians had how charged with seditious libel, a serious criminal offense, if you didn't know. I did not know. <laughs> Especially for someone who owns a newspaper. That's not good. <laughs> Under the law, he had undoubtedly broken it. Like He's like, this is 100% seditious libel. <laughs> and Howe's case seemed hopeless since truth was not a defense. <laughs> So he's just like, but it's true. And they're like, that's not a defense. Yeah. Even though it is. <laughs> we decided that that's not a defense today. The prosecution had only to prove that Howe had published the letter. So all the prosecution has to do is say, it's an anonymous letter, but Howe definitely published it. Yeah. He definitely wrote it. Um, or sorry, they didn't have to prove that he wrote it. He just, that he published it. Which he did because it's the newspaper. That's so stupid. And he probably wrote it. He definitely <laughs> wrote it. Howe decided to act as his own lawyer. Of course. <laughs> which is usually a really bad decision. What a uh, cocky little man. <laughs> he Oh, this is like ego out the wazoo. This is just like the biggest head in the room. Uh. He addressed the jury, citing case after case of civic corruption. So his case is just like... They He's do like, it all if the time. I'm going down, I'm going to tell you all the shit that they did. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> he spoke eloquently about the importance of press freedom. Of course he did. Urging jurors, quote, to leave an unshackled press as a legacy to your children. <laughs> wow, pulling that card. <laughs> Even though It's the- not about me. It's about the kids. <laughs> it's about the children. <laughs> Just a single tear. <laughs> yeah. Even though the judge instructed the jury to find how guilty, the jurors took only 10 minutes to acquit him. Wow. <laughs> the, the judge was they were like, like, well, I'm sold. <laughs> and they were just like, but my children. <laughs> no. And they're like, but, but an unshackled press from my kids. From my kids. That's what they wanted for Christmas. <laughs> Lil Susie, that's all she asked for? That's all she wanted. All she wanted was a uh, a baby doll yeah. and an unshackled press. <laughs> and a ribbon for her hair. Now, those would be great t-shirts. <laughs> it's all just like Christmas is like two things and then the, an unshackled press. Yeah, I love that. <laughs> We're coming for you next, Fox My grown-up Christmas list. <laughs> My grown-up Christmas list, yeah. It's like, I just want a clean apartment. Someone help me pay rent. A bottle of wine. A bottle of wine. And an unshackled, unshackled press. press. <laughs> <laughs> for the children. I love that. Yeah. Ugh. Um, the decision was a landmark event in the slow evolution of press freedom in Canada. How, upon his acquittal, announced, quote, the press of Nova Scotia is free. Freedom! Freedom! The trial was the first time Howe demonstrated to the masses his skills as an orator, something that would place him far above his opponents. Mm. And some even would go as far as to compare him to John A. MacDonald in terms of like his, his proficiency. And I bet he was an disappointed that they didn't compare him to God. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was hoping to hear Jesus Christ. <laughs> but but uh, uh, I'll take John A. I'll take Jam. <laughs> So this is my favorite part okay. about the whole trial thing with the press, which honestly, I think you could have made a Heritage Minute just about that. Okay. Like that would make a great Heritage Minute. Him up at the jury is like, leave an unshackled press, the legacy of your children. And the jury, the judge is like, you're gonna like, you know, you're gonna, you're gonna make him guilty, right? And the jury's like, we acquit him. And they're like. And then they're like. 
<laughs> a part of our heritage. A part of our na- national heritage. Yeah. And there's just like light coming in through a dusty windows. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, so Brenton Halliburton presided over the libel trial of Joseph Howe. So he's the judge. Mm-hmm. Um, the outcome of the trial and Howe's writings in the Nova Scotian enraged Halliburton's son, John C. Halliburton, so much that John called Howe out for a duel. He was just like, like a duel of poetry <laughs> or a duel with swords? Oh, guns. Guns. <laughs> We're talking pistol <laughs> duel. Dual pistols. He's just like, duel. meet me at Point Pleasant Park. At sundown. At sundown no on way. March 14th, 1840. We're coming up on that date. <laughs> yeah. We should go to Point Pleasant Park on the anniversary of the duel. <laughs> yeah, we can bring the boys from North of Normal. I feel like they'd be really into that. <laughs> they'd be into I bet that. Spencer and Hunter have, um, have like, dual gear. <laughs> One of them does, at least. Yeah, definitely. My guess is Spencer. <laughs> When Halliburton missed his shot, uh, how... Oh, they did it? Oh, they did the duel? No, you shut up. No, they did the duel. You shut up. They did the duel. No. Also, this is years after the trial. This is 1840. The The trial takes place in 1835. What? <laughs> Where did this come from? This is so to left field. I know. <laughs> and it's not even the judge. It's the judge's son. The judge's son is dueling the deputy postmaster's son in Point Pleasant Park. Which, by the way, is just this, like, trail park in Halifax. <laughs> and that is now the name of the next Quentin Tarantino film. <laughs> no, it, it, what did you gunshot say? Gunshot at Gunpoint no, but it Pleasant was, Park. No, it was when you said the postmaster's <laughs> son and the... Oh, the judge's son versus the, the post, deputy postmaster's son. The deputy postmaster's son <laughs> at Point Pleasant Park. park. That yeah. is a Quentin Tarantino film. <laughs> I want to call it at Gunpoint Pleasant Park. Oh. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Except like it's that. not those kinds of guns yet. It's, it's just not. Click. <laughs> um, so when Halliburton missed his shot, uh, how deloped, which is when you deliberately like fire over their head, like mm-hmm. you fire fire into the air. Um, he so he's like, even cool. He's like, um, you're not worth my time. <laughs> you're not worth another trial where you're, I would win again. You're not worth this bullet. Yeah. It's not for you. Uh, yeah. Oh, fun fact. Oh, (laughs) this has been, there's been so many. Fun fact. The last lethal duel in Nova Scotia took place in 1819, (laughs) in which William Bowie was killed. William Bowie. Yep. Like my Bowie. Like your Bowie. (laughs) Not David. Not David. Thus, the how that wrote on the politics of Nova Scotia in 1934 to 35 was a newly transformed one. He continued to write about an idyllic agricultural class that lived off the land and worked hard. Yet the province was run by and for gentlemen merchants, gentlemen mechanics, and gentlemen farmers. Halifax was used used as a model for policies, but life in the city did not reflect life in the rest of the province for the most part. So basically, he's addressing problems that people continue to complain about Mm -hmm. in Nova Scotia and a lot of other places, is that... We make policies for a certain class of people, and that's not the majority of people. Um, and we make policies that resemble the capital and the urban centers, but yep. ignores rural communities. Like yep. you said earlier about wanting oh, to yeah. have representation better for rural yep. communities. How told the people to look at the faulty structure of the council, at the great string of public officers who took so much of the revenue that they were, quote, in truth our masters, and the assembly in which the lawyers led a time-serving majority and then adopt the only true remedy, elect a, quote, public-spirited assembly, which would bring the sentiments of the country to bear upon the rottenness of Denmark. I don't know why I don't Denmark... Um, I was I was following. Like, I was really following. Was like, like, I was, like, in it. I was, like, yeah. And then... Denmark. Denmark. <laughs> and then I thought I wasn't listening right. I would love <laughs> if like, that's probably just like a reference that like I don't understand, but I would love if it was like, <laughs> he was just like, people aren't listening to the people. It's like, yeah. It's like all of these rich guys, they're like pocketing the money of taxpayers. Yeah. yeah. It's like, you know what we should do? What? Fuck Denmark. Uh, what? what? <laughs> it's like, we should overthrow the king of Denmark. <laughs> uh, 
Joe? Joe? You Buddy? okay, bud? Because the king of Denmark is manipulating the queen of England because she would never do this to us. Okay. Oh, okay, buddy. Okay, Joe. <laughs> okay, Joe. Let's it's those Danes <laughs> in Amsterdam. Not Amsterdam. <laughs> in Col... Starts with a C, right? It does. It does. <laughs> Copenhagen. Copenhagen. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, Copenhagen. Yeah. That seat of dirty, dirty <laughs> Danish power in Copenhagen. <laughs> uh, Joseph Howe. Unshackle the press. <laughs> fuck the Danes. <laughs> That's it. Yeah. <sighs> Hashtag Shakespeare for life. <laughs> Shakespeare for life, though. I love you, Vicky. <laughs> She, he's just a weeb for the queen. She's like, she'd never do anything wrong. <laughs> Vicky as Victoria. Oh, oh my yeah. God, that's funny. <laughs> that was a joke. And, and it, it was, was funny. funny. <laughs> Shout out to oh the boys from Canadian Politics God. and Boring for that gem. <sighs> Thomas Halliburton, who was the judge over House Case mm-hmm. earlier, uh, I believe, or maybe this is a different Halliburton. But anyways, Thomas Halliburton warned Howe to not seek election in the assembly. So Howe's just like, I'm going to do it. And they're like, don't fucking do it. I'm going to do it. Stick with your newspaper. You can't have these kinds of opinions once you're elected. I'm going to do it. <laughs> it's what like, he kept saying. I'm not going to do it. I'm just thinking about it. I'm not going <laughs> to do it. And then like the ballot's like, I did it. Uh, yeah, that's a that's. I've been watching some really fun TikTok videos with that. A lot of Brad Mondo. A lot of girls dyeing their hair. A lot of girls dyeing their hair. Yeah. I'm not gonna do it. I'm not gonna do it, girl. I'm just thinking about it. I'm not gonna do it. I, I did, did it. it. <laughs> that's how running for election. Yeah. Um, he believed it would ruin everything how had worked towards at the Nova Scotian because thereafter it would be viewed as a party paper. Mm-hmm. So it's like, oh, you're a liberal. No one's gonna trust your paper to not be just about liberal stuff but how felt a calling and also <laughs> of course he did he was just like you know what i'm gonna do it because literally no one is better than me for the job <laughs> which is what he said at every opportunity it me or no one that's when they were like uh you, you will be assigned a defense attorney <laughs> no one is better for the job than me <laughs> Like, and oh, he was right. Okay. They're like, uh, you actually need your appendix removed. <laughs> no one <laughs> is going to cut me open except, except me. For me. Did you see uh, the Toronto Raptors posted today? <laughs> I was like, uh, Lowry got cut during a game. And it's like, I know he got cut. Nobody but- bleeds my blood except for me, <laughs> <laughs> which is like from Dodgeball. But yeah. I think that's what the quote is. Oh, so funny. Yeah, it is from Dodgeball. No, Nobody's I knew that gonna he got bleed cut. my blood except for me. But I didn't see that. That's really, I want to look at it now. <laughs> But yeah, so he's just like, don't join the Nova Scotian because that would be bad for you. Mm-hmm. Uh, but how felt a calling or not? Tr- well, don't leave the Nova Scotian behind and join yeah. politics. That's what it was. Uh, but how felt a calling. And he also felt that he'd learn a lot from the experience. OK, so how ran in the county of Halifax and was elected in 1836. His message to the voters was a simple one. Quote, all we ask for is what exists at home, a system of responsibility to the people. Mm hmm. That's what he wants. Sounds pretty standard. Responsible government, you might call it. One might, yes. <laughs> How was now a colonial reformer? He did have a different... A colonial performer? <laughs> What's a colonial performer do? Um, What's the act? What's the circus act of a colonial performer? A colonial performer. Musketrix? Well, I'm picturing very, like, the American Gothic painting, but, like, in real life. <laughs> You just go and you stand yeah. there with a pitchfork. Yeah. You just defend your land from yeah. like people that were like, hey, yeah. I actually lived here for hundreds of years before no. you did. Shh. No. It's Shh. like, no. this is mine. Shh. This land is not your land. This land, this land is, is my mine. land. <laughs> <laughs> it's just building a fence yeah. around yourself. Yeah. You're like, just middle fingers up. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. um, he did have different views initially, but following the rebellion, rebellions in Canada and the Durham report, which recommended responsible government in the colonies, Howe shifted his belief and he agreed with the Durham report. Hmm. 
that the solution to colonial governing problems would be a major representative branch of the government. Okay. So initially, he's ve- he as we've said, he's very Anglophile, loves Britain, Vicky can do no wrong. But after the Durham report, he's just like, that is a good idea. <laughs> we should have more elected people. Vicky, Vicky, Vicky. <laughs> But Howe still rebuffed at the notion of party politics, which he was always opposed to. He always feared, despite the touchstone questions that would that were parties were natural, they, mm-hmm. they naturally formed. It wasn't like part of the system. Right. And that it was like the British system. So mm-hmm. whenever he was just like, parties are bad, people are like, we don't need parties. They just happen. And also, that's the way they do it in Britain. <laughs> so it better be right. And he's just like tearing up on the inside. He's just yeah. like, no, <laughs> how dare they? He he always feared that parties would restrict its members' freedom of action and conscience. Mm-hmm. Conscience. Which, mm-hmm. Good point. Good point. Good point, Joe. In 1840, Howe participated in the successful act to remove Lieutenant Governor uh, Colin Campbell from office, who was just like a partier. He was just like... Let's spend a lot of money on, like, music and big parties. <laughs> what if we did that and nothing else? Uh, he also was always just like, I want to be in charge of the military. And it's like, you're lieutenant governor. <laughs> shut no, up. No, he's <laughs> lieutenant governor. We're in Sorry. Canada. Lieutenant governor, shut up. <laughs> shut up. It's like, but parties? <laughs> Hell yeah. Hell <laughs> Yeah. Hey, Colin, that's the name. Partying's the game. <laughs> Lieutenant who? <laughs> They're just like, we need you to do your job, Take though. your shoes off at the door, kids. <laughs> what? I can't hear you. The vibes are insane right now. The polka band is really loud right now. <laughs> I can't hear you over the cello. <laughs> so he was replaced. It's an upright bass. <laughs> He was replaced by a guy named Charles Thompson, who... Sounds boring. Yeah, totally boring. (laughs) Who decided a new government needed to be formed. Mm -hmm. So they're like, all right, this is in shambles. We need just an election (laughs) right now. Everybody, new election. Yesterday. (laughs) We needed a new election yesterday. (laughs) How at this time entered the executive council in a coalition with the Tory James Johnson. We have a coalition government. I picture him just like... Being behind a curtain the whole time and being like, oh, hello there. <laughs> Do you have a problem? <laughs> Joe Howe's here now. Well, kind of. You know of. the best man for the job? It's me. It's me. Always been. I always will be. I couldn't think of anyone better for the job. <laughs> other than this guy. But, like, a coalition government requires a lot of uh, communication and compromise. Mm-hmm. Because it's two parties forming the government together. Mm-hmm. Both of those things Howe is very bad at. Yeah, he doesn't play <laughs> nice with others. He's very like, well, you can have an opinion. It's just wrong. Mm. Mine's the right one. He's like, oh, well, I'll let you. I'll let you explain it. I'll listen. And on top of that, during the coalition period, he became Speaker of the Assembly. It's his job to talk all the time. God damn it. Um, he was also the collector of excise in Halifax. I don't particularly know what that is. He was also the <laughs> commissioner of Indian affairs. I don't know what that is, but he also did this of um, Indian affairs as in Aboriginal affairs. Aboriginal affairs. Is what we'd call it today. As yeah. we would call it, well, indigenous today. But yeah, right, sorry. Historically, Indian affairs. Um, mm. I don't say that flippantly. It's just what it was called. But yeah, he, he was like one of Nova Scotia's first. And he... Mm. So I studied him a lot in my thesis. If you want to read my thesis, just Google my name. It if shows you, up. If you didn't know, Grace is really smart and has a thesis. I tried my best. And she defended it. I did, I did defend it. And she it. won. <laughs> I won. I could think of no one better for the job. <laughs> also, they wouldn't let anyone else defend it. I had to do it. <laughs> they said a few unkind things to her, and I said that that's bullshit, and she's perfect. <laughs> they were not unkind. They were just, you know, reasonable critiques. Mm. <laughs> By the end of 1841, he's just so busy with politics. So he sold the Nova Scotia. Johnston, Thompson, and Howe. So that's the governor general, the Tory leader, and Howe. Mm. Disagreed over how the coalition should uh, move forward. Arguing all the time. Okay. Furthermore, Howe could not satisfy mo- the more radical reformers who wanted faster action. So that's mm-hmm. the other. he's also got to be like, all right, guys. Uh, he's not good at that. 
I feel like if there's someone more he radical than Hal who's voicing opinions, not that Hal's like really radical, but he is very loud. Yeah. So I feel like he doesn't do well with other loud people He's in the room. Good at this. Yeah. In early 1943, Howe told Lieutenant Governor Falcon that something more was required to make a strong administration than nine men treating each other courteously around a table. Who Which said is this? like did Howe say this? Howe, yeah. He's just like that's like ooh. That's like my favorite Howe quote. It's just like we need to do more than just be nice to each other. Like, this isn't about courtesy. This is people's lives. This is fire. He's, He's so dropping baller. bombs. <laughs> yeah. Truth <laughs> bombs. There is the assurance of good faith towards each other of common sentiments and kindly feelings. Mm-hmm. So it's just like, we should know that this is impersonal. Mm-hmm. We should just, like, take that into consideration and then just do our jobs. Mm-hmm. How stressed relations with Johnston and the coalition when he denounced denominational institutions. Mm. So he has a big problem with Acadia University and State of X University mm. for a lot of the reasons that they still have people have problems with them. Um, but Johnston was like a really fierce Baptist. Uh. And so he's just like, how dare you mm. come for the institutions? <laughs> Falkland then was leaning more and more on the Tories and the coalition, and this issue came to a head in late 1843 during Howe's absence from Halifax, and against his advice, Falkland dissolved the assembly. So, like, they just waited for Howe to leave. Like, they don't have a backbone. Like, they can't face him. So it's like, as soon as he leaves town, they're like, okay, the government's been dissolved. Don't tell Howe. Don't tell Howe. (laughs) Quick, everybody scatter. (laughs) Scatter! (laughs) Just mice. Um... Supposedly to escape the party government, which he said the reformers were trying to force him into. So that's Falkland's reason for dissolving the assembly. But it's You're a big pussy. Yeah. <laughs> In the election, he got what he wanted, a Tory majority, albeit small. Howe and the two other reform counselors resigned afterwards. Hmm. Until the election of August 1847, Howe devoted all his energy to the undoing of the effects of the coalition and reviving the reform party. Mm. So during the coalition, they were like, okay, we'll compromise, we'll be friends, whatever. And then afterwards, they're just like, we need to build this from the ground up. Yeah. (laughs) From May 1844 to April 1846, he assumed the editorship of the Nova Scotian and the Morning Chronicle. Mm. And, quote, his armchair became the center and rallying point for the whole party. Quote, here is Howe among us again. Not Mr. Speaker Howe, not the Honorable Mr. Howe, but Joe Howe, making us laugh a good deal, but think a good deal more even while we are laughing. Oh, I know. Who said that? It was just like a quote from one of the other reformers. Nice. I know. Oh, I want people to say stuff like that about me. (laughs) I think that's the thing, though. It's like if you have to go against him, everybody hates Mm. him. But if he's on your side, like he's awesome. Yeah. He's making us laugh and learn. Oh my Just God. Laughing and learning. <laughs> How delineated the issues more clearly than ever before. And the election of August 5th, 1847 was as much a referendum on the single issue of responsible government as a British style election is likely to be. The reformers margin in seats was only by seven, but their victory was certain for none of the new assembly men fell into the category of quote, loose fish. <laughs> Flopping around. Just flopping around. Flopping around on the deck. <laughs> flop, I flop, love flop. that insult. <laughs> it's like, oh, you're such a, like, nobody's flaky anymore. Yeah. It's just like, oh, you're such a loose fish. <laughs> it was simply a question of voting out the Tories on the 26th of January, 1848. A reform administration was installed a few days later. Nova Scotia had become the first colony to achieve responsible government, and how boasted yeah, it did. had been done without, quote, a blow struck or a pane of glass broken. Yes, sir. Yet he was being somewhat sanctimonious for external circumstances such as the rebellions in Canada made uh, may have played uh, a small part in making it possible for them to have responsible right. government. It's like we did it without killing anybody. It's like except for all of the rebellions that took place in the other place that made gov- like Britain think, yeah, responsible government <laughs> would be a good idea. Um, so during the reform government, how is not premier? It is uh, J.B. Uniac. Uniac? Uniac. Yeah, Uniac Square. Not Uniac. Name for this guy. His name is James Boyle Uniac. <laughs> um, so he heads the new administration. How was paying the price for him being the loudmouth, like, egotistical person that he was? Okay. <laughs> Unable to stand 
exaggerated criticism um, and, you know, just for being, like, a nuisance to everyone. Mm -hmm. Like, he just doesn't play the game very well. Um, He had reacted violently to Falkland's conniving with the Tory publicists behind the scenes. Uh, However, his lampoons reflecting on the governor, the lord of the bedchamber, was the best known. So that's one of his nicknames. The lord of the bedchamber. The lampoons. (laughs) (laughs) Not only horrified the colonial Tories, but also hurt his reputation for moderation in England. Mm. So even though he's not premier, it's more in name than in reality. Okay. Uh, Basically, Joe runs the show. He Joe mm. runs the show. Um, and he had a... This is partly because he has such a reputation with the liberals or the reformers, but also because of his friendship with uh, Sir John Harvey, who winds up becoming governor. Hmm. So he's really in with, like, the governor. He also has, like, this reputation. And later on, it comes out that, like, Uniac... He's pretty old at this point. Okay. So... He's premier for a bit, and then basically he's, like, put into a position where he can retire from politics. Into a home. Uh, yeah, basically. Mm-hmm. Uh, which is also commissioner of indigenous affairs. Oh, <laughs> well. Like, you know, one of those positions where you don't got to do anything. At all. Put him in that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it had a different name at that point. It was, like, commissioner of crown lands or something like that. Um, but that's the end of part one of Joseph Howe. Part one? Part one. We so our even... not even minute, our like <laughs> pretend minute is a two-parter? Our pretend minute is a two-parter. We're I did talk not a... see that coming. <laughs> that literally just, that was like, that was like, what's it, what did he say? Uh, that was like, um, Blindside? Uh, no. Um, when he was like Germany, but not Germany. When he was like Denmark. Denmark. <laughs> like, yeah, it's like, what? You were like two-parter. I was like, Denmark? Denmark. <laughs> Yeah, so uh, by this point, we're kind of like, he's achieved responsible government and wow. his party is in power, but it's not the end for Joseph Howe because <gasps> so we, we need to see him eventually become premier. I'm excited. We to need know to see him join you. Confederation I'm so and become excited. a cabinet member. Yes, we have to see it all. More poetry, more hatred of Denmark, more <laughs> duels. Let's find Let's out. Let's find out next week. <laughs> next week. I'm gonna, women. What kind of podcast are we now? <laughs> no. like, more next week. <laughs> <laughs> We're a good podcast. Yeah, you're With right. some very exciting news. I'm assuming you're done. I am done. You've told me the story. Yes. We're on to the two-parter. We have big news, everybody. Big news. The biggest news. It's <laughs> so exciting. We have not one. Not one. But two live shows coming up. <laughs> Yeah. You can do that at Minute Women Live. At our live show. So Please whisper, though. Like, yes. Yeah. So we have two very cool live shows coming up. Our first live show, which is actually in reality our second ever live show, yes. is coming up on February 18th at Pickford and Black on the Halifax waterfront. That is where our first live show was, and they are gracious enough to have us back again. So Yay. we're very excited. This is a free show, so it's free for you to attend. Come in, grab a bite to eat at Pickford and Black. Last time, Grace and I discovered the loaded fries. They are <laughs> so good, spectacular. <laughs> um, they've got great beer, great people, and they'll be us, so it'll be a lot of fun. Uh, But then we have another live show, and this is kind of a big deal for the Minute Women (laughs) and Mark. Um, This is our first live show that's going to be um, with a cover. So it will cost you $5 to attend. However, it is going to be at the Garden Food Bar and Lounge. So pretty. There will be Minute Women-inspired cocktails (laughs) and uh, a fabulous night full of fun and humor and laughing and learning uh, from yours truly. So we would love to see you there. That is happening on March 3rd, and that will also be an 8 p.m. start. So both nights, February 18th and March 3rd, start at 8 p.m. And we would love to see you there. Yeah. If you have, if you're like, should I go to this one? Should I go to the other one? Go to both. Yeah. A, just <laughs> go to both. Yeah. Um, but Pickford and Black, it's going to be a bit more like a bar style live show. Yeah. When we go to the garden, we are the main event. So yeah. it's going to be way more formal. Yeah. So <laughs> I'm going to wear a dress. <laughs> We're going to be like main front and center. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah Grace, keep 18th. saying that. I'm not nervous. You're <laughs> nervous. <laughs> February 18th, Pickford and Black. March 3rd, The Garden. Yeah. 
and they're both at 8 p.m. Yeah, and a huge thanks to the manager at Pickford and Black, Billy, for having us back, and to Kelly, the events manager at the Garden, for uh, bringing us in. We're very excited. So thank you all for listening to another episode of the Minute Women podcast. We'd love to have you join in with Grace and I as Grace tells me all about Canadian Heritage Minutes. Or in today's case, if you listen to the whole episode, <laughs> not really about a Heritage Minute. Loose. Loosely Loose. attached. Loosely. <laughs> uh, if you're not already following us, I really don't know why, on our social media channels, go check us out. We are Minute Women podcast on Facebook and Instagram. Lots of fun content there. And then we are at the Minute Women on Twitter. So go follow, check us out, tell your friends to also check us out, like our posts, save our posts, comment, tell us things. We will get back to you. Yeah, especially if you want to come to the live shows because we're going to be posting more information there. Keep an eye out for posters and things that are going to be coming out on Instagram and Twitter and Facebook. And make sure that you are subscribed to the podcast. Make sure that you're downloading the new episodes. We release a new episode every Wednesday. And if it's a possibility, rate the podcast. Leave us a little review. That's the best way to support us right now. And share it with your friends. Word of mouth is the best review. Bye. Bye. Thank you.